Well, good morning, City Light. Lovely to see you. My name is Doug, and I'm, I'm really thankful for what Jesus is doing in the midst of our church family. One thing, City Light Kids is growing and flourishing. City Light Kids is this awesome way for our church to partner with your family. There's over 50 volunteers who rotate to serve over 150 children. Every Sunday, the babies in the nursery, they are prayed over. The older kids get to hear Jesus-centered Bible stories, and they love it. You know, Jesus welcomed children. Jesus celebrated children. Jesus prayed for children. Jesus even used children as sermon illustrations. And so this morning, we're going to go the way of Jesus because we're looking at an old Christmas song that was originally written for little children. I'll tell you the story. Phillips Brooks was a pastor in Philadelphia who stood six feet, eight inches tall. That's a few inches taller than me and a few feet taller than Eric. Um, Philip Brooks, he loved hanging out with kids. He actually kept toys in his church office to give away to needy children. And he also got like a once in a lifetime opportunity to go to Israel. So on December 24, 1865, while the rest of our nation was recovering from the Civil War, Phillips Brooks went to Israel, and on that Christmas Eve, he climbed atop of a horse, and along with a tour group, they rode from Jerusalem into Bethlehem. They rode past the fields where it was rumored that maybe the angels showed up and spoke to the shepherds, and they arrived at a cave where it was rumored that maybe, just maybe, Jesus was born. And there in Bethlehem, Brooks attended a Christmas Eve service that started at 10 p.m. and went until 3 a.m. Aren't you glad that our Christmas Eve gatherings this Friday are both earlier and way shorter? Uh, but these Christmas, this Christmas Eve service for him was apparently moving and impactful because when he returned to the United States, he wanted to write about it in a song for the children in his church. That song is called, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It's a little song written for little children. It's about a little town, about silent stars that go by, about how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. Yet amongst this little town, something great happens. Brooks writes about it this way. He says, Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. It's this brilliant juxtaposition, a smashing together of a little town and dark streets and everlasting light in the culmination of history. In the midst of little, someone great is born. And my hope this morning, what I want to do is just walk through the original Bible passage that inspired this song. It's the ancient Old Testament prophet Micah, chapter 5. And I have one goal, just one really simple goal. I want to convince us, I want to persuade us that Jesus, though born in a little town, and Jesus, though born as a little baby, Jesus is 
great. My hope is that as you hear this and as we walk out this morning, we don't think of Jesus merely as a cute baby or merely as a nice man, but we see, we know, and we think of Jesus as truly great. And by great, I mean like an everlasting light. By great, I mean what Brooks wrote in his kid's song. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in him. By great, I mean what Micah the prophet wrote and predicted and promised about the Messiah in chapter 5, verse 4, saying that Jesus would be great to the ends of the earth. He's the culmination of history, the king of the world, and he is worthy of all of our affections, all of our attention, all of our actions. And if you've ever wondered, is Jesus worth it? Whatever it might be for you, then my hope this morning is that Micah chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 2 and Phillips Brooks and a little kid's song will show you, it will convince us that Jesus, most certainly, he is worth it. He is great. So, if you've got your Bibles, Micah chapter 5, here come five reasons that Jesus is great, five ways that Jesus is great. Number one, Jesus is great because he overcomes all odds and all oppression. And Jesus overcomes all odds and all oppression. So Micah chapter 5, it's this ancient prophecy, this prediction written some 700 years before Jesus is born. And it starts in verse 1 with this gloomy, ominous picture. We'll read it. It says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. So an enemy is coming, right? An enemy is fast approaching. Gather the troops. Fill the whole city with troops. They're being besieged, bombarded, overwhelmed by this enemy. And the enemy is able to penetrate so well into the city that they're able to get up close and personal to Israel's king, ruler, judge, and strike him on the cheek, on the face. This is a bad situation. But yet in the midst of this terrible situation, this siege against the city, the people of God, God promises a better, a stronger, a greater ruler will emerge and out of Bethlehem of all places. Look at chapter 5 verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. So against all odds and against all oppression, when the odds are stacked against God's people, God will raise up a ruler for Israel from the most unlikely of places. Now, flip over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, the other passage that Eric read. Matthew starts the story like this in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and even as he like writes the name of that little town, it's like Matthew is winking at his readers saying, oh, something great is about to happen in this little town. So the readers are tuning in. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, 
And with that name, Matthew's pretty much alarming. He's alerting his readers to the enemy. I mean, Herod the king, you just got to know, he went down as one of the most evil tyrants in history. He imprisoned his own children. He would murder his own family members. He had 10 different wives, and he was unfaithful to all of them. So yes, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but the streets of Bethlehem are certainly dark. It's ominous. It's gloomy. Later in Matthew chapter 2, we learn that Herod is insecure, and he's jealous of this little baby born in the little town of Bethlehem to the degree, uh, verse 16, that he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under. And all of that is an attempt to try to kill, exterminate, to destroy Jesus. And now you can see, Matthew 2 kind of sounds like Micah 5. And Jesus here, he kind of reminds us of Israel there. And here's Herod. He's the enemy. Herod is launching his siege, his bombardment on this city, right? And it seems like it's only a matter of time until he penetrates and the rod of Herod gets to strike baby Jesus on the face before he ever turns two years old. But we all know the rest of the story, don't we? Jesus escapes. He flees. An angel tells Jesus' adopted dad in a dream to flee Bethlehem and get to Egypt. And so they do. Straight out of Bethlehem, Jesus and his mom and dad, Joseph and Mary, flee for safety. Against all odds and against all oppression, Jesus shows his greatness. But it doesn't sound like greatness, does it, right? I mean, like, Jesus doesn't show his greatness through a military resurgence or military power. Jesus' greatness comes through the supernatural communication of God, the supernatural showing up of God. Just like God supernaturally communicated to the shepherds in the fields, just like God supernaturally communicated to Mary, just like God supernaturally communicated to Joseph in this dream and said, flee, get out of here. So you like, hear this, Christmas is the story of God supernaturally communicating, of God supernaturally showing up for his people, for you. But greater than a dream, greater than an angel, even greater than this ancient Bible prediction and promise, Christmas is the story of God supernaturally communicating, God supernaturally showing up in the person of Jesus if you've ever wished, if you wonder, man, if God could just show up in my life, then let me encourage you, look to Christmas. Look to that little town of Bethlehem. Look to that little baby born. Jesus is God supernaturally showing up then and there so that he can supernaturally show up here and now in your life. Jesus is great because even in his weakness, even in his fleeing, he overcomes all odds in all oppression. Number two, reason why Jesus is great. Jesus is great because he is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Back in Micah chapter 5, it's kind of like we get the director's commentary voiced over these like incredible scenes of this little family fleeing for their lives, getting out of Bethlehem and into Egypt. Like in Matthew chapter 2, we read about a little boy and his mom and dad who they climb on some horses, I would guess, and they get out of town and they get to Egypt. But back in Micah 5, 
we learn that this little boy is so much more than just a little boy. Look at verse 2 again. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Catch this next line. Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So this baby didn't just come from his mama's womb. This baby came from of old, came from ancient days. This baby, this Jesus, in other words, is eternal. Um, this past week, my wife and I showed the Charlie Bit My Finger video uh, to our kids. You guys remember that one? It was like really short, kind of funny. I mean, it was viewed over 884 million times. It was pretty much the first ever viral video um, on the internet. And the baby boy brothers in that video, they enjoyed their 15 minutes of fame, right? Maybe a step up from Charlie and his brother's hurt finger would be, um, and I apologize to do this to you, um, a step up might be Hanson and their lyrically rich um, hit single, Mbop, Bop, Bop, Mbop, right? That song was like crazy famous, man. It was like number one on the charts in 27 different nations. They got to perform it at the White House. And so Hanson, the boy band, like, they enjoyed their 15 months of fame, you know? I promise I won't bring up any more boy bands in this sermon, and I apologize for that one. Maybe a step up from that would be Peyton Manning, the NFL quarterback, who enjoyed a great career. He even won two Super Bowls. He's still really like a household name among football-watching families. He enjoyed his 15 years of fame. I could keep going, right? Like Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Alexander the Great, whether it's 15 years or 15 decades or even 15 centuries of fame that they enjoyed, yet none of them, just pause, think about this with me, none of them hold a candle to Jesus who is eternal. And Jesus, eternally begotten, eternally existing. He was there and he created the heavens and the earth with God the Father and God the Spirit. And Jesus, who enjoyed and had the fame of eternity on heaven's throne for all of eternity past, as far back as far back can go. And Jesus has eternally existed and Jesus will eternally exist as far forward as far forward can go. And Jesus is great because Jesus is eternal. I mean, we think Tom Brady is great because he's playing into his 40s. But Jesus is still performing at the highest and the holiest of levels, even in his eternal age, whatever that might be. Jesus is great because he is eternal. Okay, number three reason, number three way that Jesus is great Jesus is great because he stands in the strength and the majesty of God. Micah's ancient prophecy about Jesus continues, and in verse 4 it says, And he shall stand in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Now that word stand there, it's just loaded with meaning. It means, one thing it means, it means that Jesus stood his ground. Okay, like think the Alamo back in Texas, where I'm from, hallelujah. Except think that they actually managed to 
fight off the enemy and they didn't just slow them down. Think of like a military who refuses to surrender, refuses to give in, and somehow they like win the battle, right? They stand their ground. Except Jesus' stand is greater because he stood his ground against his enemies and our enemies, like sin. Sin got up close and personal and struck at the face of Jesus, but Jesus stood his ground against the enemy. Satan got up close and personal and struck at the face of Jesus, but Jesus stood his ground against the enemy. Jesus is great because he stands his ground. But that word stand, it could also mean like a, um, a presentation, an arrival of sorts, okay? So think of Rafiki presenting Simba in The Lion King, you know what I mean? Or maybe think of Superman who stops the speeding train right before it crashes into all the helpless people, and he turns to the adoring crowd, and he stands, right? Jesus stands, except his stand is even greater because he stands in the strength and the majesty of God Almighty himself. Still further, this word stand, it can refer to like a platform. And today, a platform might refer to people who try to build their online platforms to get more followers or make a buck. And they use social media posts or 15 seconds of fame or get those podcast interviews or write a book and all of that. It can add up to, hey, look, I've got my platform. But Jesus' platform is greater Jesus doesn't build his platform on the backs of swooning fans. And Jesus doesn't build his kingdom by taxing the poor, nor does he tax the rich. No, Jesus loves, he gives, he serves. And Jesus' platform is built on the strength and the majesty of God himself. Now, what does all of that standing mean for you and for me? I think a few things. I, I think it means that Jesus can and he will stand for you. Jesus will defend you. Just like sin came up close and wanted to strike Jesus, sin wants to strike you in the face. But Jesus will defend you. And just like Satan delighted to strike Jesus, Satan would delight to strike you, but Jesus will defend you. Jesus will hold his ground, stand his ground, bear his biceps, look the enemy in the eyes, and stand for you. Jesus will defend you. He is great. I think it also means, though, that Jesus stands over us, right? Like the, that moment when Rafiki presents Simba, that's awesome, that's great and everything, but I certainly wouldn't want to be Simba, you know? Like, I don't want the weight of the world on my shoulders, and we know how that went for Simba. It went long enough for Disney to make millions, you know, and launch a franchise and all that sort of stuff. And I suspect many of you might be like me. I might enjoy watching and even celebrating someone being presented as king or savior, but I know I just don't have it in me to be the king or the savior. So the fact that Jesus' platform is built on the strength and the majesty of God and not built on me, that's wonderful news to me. The fact that Jesus is the one presented and honored and elevated as king over me, that Jesus stands over me, wonderful. I will gladly rest in him and let the weight of the world land on his shoulders. I think this also means, though, that Jesus' platform, it's greater because it's built on the strength and majesty of God. It means that Jesus isn't out to just use you. You know what I mean? 
Like Jesus isn't out to just use you for what you can give him. Jesus doesn't like say flattering things to you so that maybe you'll give him some money. And Jesus doesn't reply to your comment just so you'll share his post or sell his product. No, like Jesus loves because Jesus is love. And Jesus serves you because Jesus serves. It's who he is. It's his nature, his character, his person. And in this way, in this standing, Jesus is great. A fourth reason Jesus is great. Jesus' rule looks and feels like a shepherd's care. Jesus is great because his rule over our lives looks and feels like a shepherd's care. Micah is clear in his words about this coming Messiah. He says, For from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. In Matthew, he borrows Micah's words in Matthew chapter 2, and he says, For from you shall come a ruler. And my guess is most of us think, okay, ruler, like a king on his throne, like the president in the Oval Office, like a CEO in the corner suite, a ruler. But I think both Micah and Matthew bring clarity to what kind of ruler Jesus is. Like in Micah chapter 5, verse 4, he says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Or over in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, it says, From you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So he's a ruler, but he is a ruler who shepherds. Instead of just being a king who sits on his throne, Jesus is greater. He is a shepherd who is among his sheep. Instead of being a president who might be insulated or revered in the Oval Office, Jesus is greater. He is out and among, often sometimes even unseen, among his flock. And instead of being a CEO reclining in his leather chair with his Ferragamos or his Air Force Ones up on his desk, Jesus is greater. He is a shepherd wearing his dirty sandals out among the mess of his flock. Jesus rule. It feels and it looks like a shepherd's care. So can I ask you, where do you hurt? Is it your body? Maybe you got a diagnosis you never dreamed you would ever get. Or maybe it's just that ache and pain in the morning that greets you when you try to wake up and get out of bed. Maybe it's an injury that prevented you from getting to pursue your dreams you can come to shepherd Jesus this Christmas and find that he will care for your wound. Where do you hurt? Is it your souls? Maybe emotional scars from long ago or fresh wounds from something hurtful that a boyfriend or girlfriend just said this past week? Maybe it's the reality that once again this Christmas your family won't call, won't text, won't even acknowledge that you're alive. You can come to shepherd Jesus and find that he cares for your wounds. Jesus' rule, his leadership in your life, it looks and it feels like a shepherd's care. And it's no surprise, right? When Jesus was born as a baby in that little town of Bethlehem, it was an evil ruler, a tyrant, who tried to kill him and crush him. And Jesus surely heard that story told over and over again by his parents. And so Jesus took note. He would never be the tyrant who takes lives. He will always be the shepherd who saves lives. 
And so in your pain this Christmas, let me encourage you, run to Jesus. You don't have to run from Jesus. Okay. A fifth and final way that Jesus is great. And Jesus is great because Jesus is your peace. Jesus is your peace. Micah chapter 5, verse 5. The first line simply says of Jesus, and he shall be their peace. Jesus is the promised peace for God's people when their land, their nation, their families are shattered into pieces. I mean, remember Micah chapter 5, verse 1. Israel's under attack. They're besieged. Yet it says, here's this promise, their peace will arrive in Jesus, this baby born in anything but peaceful circumstances. So help me out here, City Light. Breathe, okay? Breathe in. Breathe out. And hear this. Jesus is your peace. All your planning and scheduling and keeping the list and making sure these gifts get here at this time and you're at that occasion or this party for this people, all of that is great. But Jesus is greater because Jesus, in the midst of all of that, he is your peace. Your courage to show up to that house that you grew up in and not revert back to that six-year-old child who experienced so much pain there, oh, it's so admirable of you. And please know that through it and in it, Jesus is your peace. Maybe you're 8, 10, 12 years old, and your mental wills are turning. What's under the tree? Did they get me what I want? Am I going to like it? What's going to happen on Christmas Day? Jesus is your peace too, children. Some of you families, it's so amazing how you're giving generously so that a family can have Christmas even when they're in need. Some of you parents or step-parents, oh, it's lovely, it's beautiful how you're working extra shifts just so your kids can have presents under the tree on Christmas Day. And hear this, through it all, in it, Jesus is your peace. How can I say that? Or how could Micah, some 700 years before he was born, Jesus was born, how can Micah promise that? Is it really true? Can Jesus be that good, that kind, that near, that great? Yes, it can be true. It is true. Why? Because Christmas is only chapter one of Jesus' life here on earth. We know it's true because this same Jesus, against all odds and all oppression, who escaped as a baby, was later destroyed by a different evil king. This Jesus, who escaped death as a baby, suffered death as a grown man. The enemy's rod struck Jesus on the cheek struck him on the face. And this same Jesus, who is eternal, he died. Like by all accounts, even Matthew's own biography of Jesus seems to say that the eternal one was cut off. I mean, he was snuffed out. The eternal one died. And Jesus, who took his stand against sin and took his stand against Satan, was struck down by death. He ran out of oxygen. He ran out of life. Like it seems that he ran out of the very strength and majesty of God himself. Jesus' last stand ended by him hanging on some wooden crossbeams. 
In Jesus, whose rule looks and feels like a shepherd's care, he was gone. I mean, yeah, cool. He loved his followers, but now he's gone. So his flock fled and his sheep scattered and literally left their shepherd hanging on a cross. And this Jesus, who really seemed great, was then placed in a grave. The ancient one who managed to come forth from a mother's womb was placed in death's tomb. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust, so it goes for us and so it went for Jesus. And listen, I know this all sounds dramatic and everything, but City Light, I want us to know this. I want us to feel this. The hopes and fears of all the years were met in Jesus in, in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. And now it looks like the hopes and fears of all the years are placed in the grave when Jesus died. Yet, we know the end of this story too, right, don't we? Just as Christmas burst on the scene in Bethlehem, yet only to give way to Good Friday, to death itself, so death died and gave way to Easter when Jesus burst back onto the scene, resurrected, reigning, and here's Micah and Matthew's word, ruling, even better than a ruler who comes forth from the little town of Bethlehem. It's Jesus, the ruler, who comes forth from the grave, comes forth from the dead. Jesus is greater than all the odds and all the oppression of death itself. Jesus is greater than time itself. He is eternal. And Jesus saved his greatest stand, his greatest presentation, his greatest platform when he walked out of the grave and he he stood in the strength and the majesty of the Lord God Almighty. And now Jesus, in his great and glorious and resurrected body, rules over our lives like a shepherd who cares. In city light, this is peace. Jesus is your peace. The hopes and fears of all your years can be met in him today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, that's our desire. That's our prayer. For myself, oh, this rings true, Lord. For myself and for my friends in this room, we bring all of our hopes, we bring all of our fears, and we want them to meet in you, Jesus. Somehow, Lord, would you take Micah 5 and Matthew 2, would you take these five reasons, ways Jesus is great from a little Sunday sermon, would you take them and reveal Jesus to us? Not merely truth about Jesus, but would you reveal Jesus as truth to us? Not merely as ideas about Jesus, but would you reveal Jesus as the word to us? Oh, let us see Jesus as great, greater than all of our hopes. Let us see Jesus as greater than all of our fears. And so, Father, for my friends in this room who right now, they're holding back some hopes. They're like, okay, Jesus, take this one. This is a dream of my life. I give it to you. This is what I'd like to have, and I give it to you. But there's this hope. There's this desire. And I think i got to be the one who makes it happen. Jesus, would you help us to bring that hope, that dream, that desire, and bring it to you. Lay it at your feet. May we trust the one who overcome the grave. May we trust the one who overcomes all odds and all oppression so much more than we trust ourselves, our power, our strength, our 
brains? And Jesus, I pray for those in this room who are struggling with fears right now. May they bring those fears to you. The fear of what he might do, what she might do, of how they'll respond, of what if this happens, the worst case scenario, all of our fears, may they be laid at your feet, Jesus. I pray that you would give people the courage to bring all their hopes and all their fears and let them land on you, Jesus, today. Jesus, show us your greatness. Show us your power. Show us that you really are that near, that good, that kind, that great. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by, yet in thy dark streets shine. 